When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about multi-classing. So before I actually need to, uh, before we actually dive in, I need to give an apology. So first off, this topic, uh, we bumped up the list because we were asked a question about it on our Discord from Mark. Uh, unfortunately, in doing the research for this episode, I realized that the answer I gave Mark on the Discord was wrong. I, Remy, actually made a rules mistake, and I hate that fact, but I'm going to do my damnness to correct it and give the proper information throughout this multi-classing episode. So I need to also give a disclaimer as well at the start of this because multiclassing in general is an incredibly popular option in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. A lot of DMs like to make more interesting NPCs using these rules and a lot of players just want to make more customized characters through multiclassing. But the entire system of multiclassing is an optional rule and a lot of people players and dungeon masters alike may not actually know that fact so all of the rules about multi-classing are in chapter six of the player's handbook under customization options and it even just spells out that it is an optional rule set so nathan why might a character want to multi-class so when i think about multi-classing in world typically i Imagine that a character would choose a multi-class or basically train the skill due to the thing that they've realized. So imagine if you were a warrior of some sort and you got into a fight with uh, a creature that could only be hurt with magic or something like that. And then you realize that, oh, you couldn't do anything that might give this, like, let's say a barbarian or something, the push to learn a bit of magic so that perhaps they could help out in that situation. So in in world, that could be a reason. Out of world, as uh, players and stuff, the reasons why you would want to multi-class is typically just to have your character be more in line towards a concept that you have. So say if you want to flavor your character in a certain way, you want to do cool effects. So for example, I wanted to build a barbarian that had his rage appear as fire, fiery effects whenever he raged. And because of that, I chose to get a couple of cantrips by using illusionary spells and stuff like that to create that effect in world and had it explained as it um, as the character being, oh, I want to come into the battle looking terrifying as heck. And yeah, it's a very interesting way to make your character more in line to a more specific idea you have. Um, as for mechanics-wise, yes, there's... It's, there's some, definitely something to be said about multi-classing can allow your character to be 
more focused towards a single like um a set of powers and it can definitely if done right make your character a lot more powerful than any single class until you hit that point where you're in your very very high levels where the anyone who streams lines and heads to the to just using one class well you actually see the people using the single class get some benefits that people who multi-class can't get because you know they multi-classed early on indeed so in summary, there's two main reasons that a character will want to multiclass, either for a mechanical benefit of some kind or to have a roleplay opportunity by having that half and half type character. Uh, one quick tangent, though, I just do need to correct you on one little detail. A barbarian cannot cast spells while raging. That is one of the limitations on the rage ability. But having those extra abilities for when a, a barbarian is not up close and personal would still potentially be immensely valuable to such a character. So even a barbarian who cannot cast magic while raging could still potentially benefit by just getting a ranged magical ability. So there are a number of ways that even potential combinations that you may not think would go together can be made to work. And honestly, Barbarian is a pretty fantastic example of that, because if they're not up close and personal, like the character itself has rather limited options to them unless they do have a good ranged weapon and dexterity skill. So I mentioned that it is for mechanics and roleplay. And there are <laughs> many, 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 many possible combinations. So how to actually multi-class a character, though, is, on, depending on the combination, potentially easy or potentially complicated. Because one rather fun aspect of multi-classing is that there's, there are limits to it, but there's actually a lot less than many people really think about. So we mentioned the idea of doing half of something and half of something else, but it doesn't actually have to go that way. So the terminology that tends to be used is that you might just take a dip in another class. So you might be, you know, a fighter 10 and then just get one level of wizard. But uh, actually, before I go into too much detail, let me actually dive into the mechanics side of things and talk about the actual how. And another fun thing, this is another aspect, unfortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately, just for me personally, where I learned something new. And while it's always good to learn new things, I do not like finding things that I had mistaken impressions about. So I've actually talked a number of times in past episodes that I would use the multi-classing rules to think about the minimum ability score to train in a class. But when I was actually reading through in preparation for this episode, there is a section in the customization options for multi-classing about what the prerequisite is to multi-class. So that thing that I talk about. The, but what's interesting in that, it mentions that depending on the class that you multi-class into, you need to have a 13 ability score in one or two, for some classes, ability scores. So you need to have, for example, a monk. You must have a 13 dexterity and wisdom to be able to multi-class as a monk. And the explanation given is that you must have an above average ability score to multi-class 
into the new class. And the, they actually do specify, without the full training that a beginning character receives, you must be a quick study in your new class, having a natural aptitude that is reflected by higher than average ability scores. So that makes total logical sense to multi-class that you must be better than average. And an average ability score is 10. So having that 13 is that in-game explanation of why you're able to pick up a new class in a very, very short period of time. You're good at whatever that ability score is. But this is a minor detail that has an interesting world application to me, which is that you don't actually have any minimum ability score requirement for your first class. And I just think that that's a really neat in-world detail that I had not thought about, which is that to get from a commoner to a level one character is something that requires a large amount of preparation and study and training, but it does not have an in-game minimum ability score. And I just think that that's neat. Anyway, uh, back to the actual multiclassing, though. So you need to have that 13 ability score in whatever is relevant. And you must have an ability score of 13 in your original class. So if you do have a below average ability score in your original class, then for lack of a better phrase, you're not good enough to branch out into something else because you've been trained in something and you just don't have the aptitude to branch out. So you need to have that 13 in both the thing you want to become and the class that you start with. And in terms of actually picking what classes, that is quite the limitation because that would mean you would need to have a minimum ability score of 13 in at least the two relevant ability scores. And depending on your character build, that could limit you. Like, let's say you rolled stats and rolled very badly on everything but one. So you've got like 10, 11, 10, 11, 10, 15 in charisma. Then if you only have a good charisma score, then you would not be able to multiclass as a fighter because you don't have a good strength or dexterity. You would not be able to become a rogue because you don't have good dexterity. But that character example could multiclass as, like, let's say they're a 15 charisma bard. And then they decide, okay, I could also want to take a bit of warlock or a bit of sorcerer because all three of those classes only require 13 charisma. So all of those three are compatible with that single ability score. And I think I actually mentioned back in the Warlock episode that a Warlock Sorcerer is a particularly effective multi-class combination. And that is definitely something that I'll get into a little more detail towards the end of this when I get into some more examples of multi-class build combinations. So that's it for prerequisites. You just need that ability score. The only other thing that you need is the level up. So the amount of experience that a D&D character needs to level up increases as the character levels up. However, what that total level is, is what matters to multi-class and to advance as a multi-class character. So that is a kind of weird phrasing. So 
let me explain that a little better if I can. So let's say that you are a level five sorcerer and a level five bard, because why not? So you have five levels in one, five levels in the other. So what that means is that in total, five and five, you are a 10th level character. So that would mean then that it does not mean that you only need the amount of experience to level up to level six to boost one of your two classes. It means that you need to get the experience to go from level 10 to 11 to add one level to one of your two multi-classes. So so normally to go from level five to level six requires going from 6,500 to 14,000. So that would be, why am I tired? 7,500 experience. You do not get to level up that quickly. The difference from 10 to 11 is the one that matters, which is 21,000 experience. So multi-classing a character is not a cheat to get a leveled character faster. You must count the total levels of whatever multi-classes the character has. And on that note, figuring out the hit points of a multi-class character. Each class has a certain size hit die. So wizards and sorcerers are squishier with a d6, all the way up to barbarians that have that beefy d12. And a multi-class character has hit dice individually for each class that they have. So again, using that warlock sorcerer example, sorcerer would have 5d6, warlock would have 5d8. So those are the total hit dice that that particular character would have. And that also means then that when you are resting, that those are the hit dice available to that character to heal them. So it would be that 5d6 and 5d8 available to them and then regenerating when they get their long rests. So both of those need to be kept track of. So next up is the proficiency bonus of the character. So the proficiency bonus is that advancing number as your total character level levels up. It is the bonus that is to your weapon attacks, to your spell attacks, to the skills you're trained in. And this is one of those numbers that is based on your total character level. So whether you've got that, I'll just stick with the 5-5 example, because giving too many examples at this point would probably just be more confusing. So that would be a 10th level character. So instead of having a proficiency bonus based on a plus 5 and a plus 5, you count as a level 10 character for the sake of your skills and everything else that proficiency bonus applies to. And one other reason of why you might want to become a multi-class character is because of proficiencies. So proficiencies are the things that your character is trained in. And there are immediate proficiencies gained whenever you become a multi-class character. However, you do not gain all of the proficiencies that a certain class has. So as an example, fighters start with proficiency with all armor and all weapons. So light, medium, heavy armors, plus shields, plus uh, simple weapons, plus martial weapons, everything. But if you multi-class into fighter, you do not 
get that heavy armor proficiency. And that is a limit on the multiclassing. So if that's the case, then why would it be useful to dip into fighter, for example? So a lot of people know that wizards are squishy. Obviously, they're wizards. However, if you just take one level of fighter, you may not get that heavy armor, but you still get light, medium, shields, and all weapons. So the limit that wizards have on armor is class-based. So if you get those proficiencies from a multi-class, then you can still cast your magic in whatever armor you are proficient with. That is the usual limit. So any spellcaster can potentially benefit by taking a multi-class that gives them some more armor, some more weapons options. But in addition to that, some classes actually give you even more than just armor or weapons. So let me double check here. So bard, ranger, and rogue also grant an additional skill from that class's skill list. So this gives an option for a character to potentially get a little bit of armor for one of those and an additional skill. So if you're building a skill-based character, then multi-class is one option to get more of them. And actually, a minor tangent that I should specify something else here. I keep talking about the half-and-half half characters and the dips, but one thing that I also must be sure to emphasize there is not a limit at all on how many times you can multiclass. So if you wish to, as long as a character has the relevant ability scores and levels up enough times, they can potentially take one level in every single class if they wanted to. I wouldn't recommend that because it's not a wait, great wait, combination. Wait, wait, yes. So. <laughs> What exactly is the viability of a level 1 everything level 12 cut? Uh, 13, Artificer. Oh yeah, 13. So, first off, it does still have that 13 levels of hit dice from the various classes, so it could still potentially be somewhat beefy, and depending on what was the very first level, they may or may not have armor. Well, actually, given that they have one level in cleric in this example, there are a number of cleric uh, subclass options at level one that give heavy armor proficiency. So that's one of the benefits of cleric multi-class potentially, is that you can get that heavy armor proficiency with one level in cleric. So for the sake of this example, the everything... <laughs> the everyone i don't even know what to call this guy the amalgamation that's what i'll call it the one level of everything so heavy armor from the cleric you would have all kinds of different magic options at your fingertips uh although figuring out exactly what magic you'd have available is somewhat complicated we will definitely get more into that shortly because that's an important part of multi-classing so you would have all weapon proficiencies at that point you would have a number of skills because you'd have whatever your starting class has plus an additional one from bard additional one from ranger additional one from rogue you would get thieves tools from rogue as well since that's another bonus that you get uh, you'd get an additional uh, musical instrument from bard so you would have a lot of proficiencies, actually. And 
besides the fact that you would have a lot of skills, you would have a lot of all the weapons and armor. Um, you one big downside, though, one thing that a multi-classer should keep in mind is that if you do use feats in your game as an alternative to ability score improvement, which is also an optional rule, by the way, to use feats at all. Uh, we'll actually get into that more in a month or so, I think, on the docket is when that comes up. Anyway, feats or ability score improvement come up about every four levels on average, but the first one is always at level four. If you were to do the amalgamation, you would have a 13th level character with zero abilities more improvements because you do not have any class that has reached fourth level. So even though the character is 13th level, you would have no ability score improvements or feats available at that point in time. So that would truly be the jack of all trades master of none because a lot of classes do have really good first level abilities and a lot of the spellcasters have good spells that you would have access to so it would be a competent character but it would definitely not be the most ideal use of levels so could it be fun yes is it efficient let's use that word no but yeah it could definitely be fun uh actually tangent on tangent uh i actually have put thought into would it make sense to have a low level character that just is a couple of level ones and i actually did find that if you have a one level life cleric as well as druid as well as warlock and you know if you had the right abilities course to take those three that third level character would be arguably like the ideal town healer because you get the short rest spell recovery from warlock you get goodberry from druid and then you get the life cleric's ability to add your spellcasting modifier to any leveled healing spell which would potentially make goodberry heal instead of just one hit point to berry each of the 10 berries would then be able to heal uh, let's say you've got a good wisdom score for that character because cleric druid so let's say that it's a 16 wisdom at that point which would mean it would be four hit points for 10 berries for one level one spell slot and with having warlock you would then get back one spell slot with an hour of rest so every hour you would have 40 hit points healed by a third level character like I said, I love breaking the world. It's a fun thing for me. Anyway, um, that's actually skipping ahead again. I apologize because uh, we still have not even gotten to spellcasting combinations yet. So yeah, so just to make sure that I've summed up adequately, when you do make a multi-class character, all that you need to do is have a 13 in the starting classes relevant ability score and the new classes ability score. And then at each time you level up, you gain a level in that class. And then you level up accordingly from there. And the things you gain the moment you multi-class is explicitly listed in that chapter six chart, multi-classing proficiencies. So it's relatively easy to tell exactly what you get when you first multi-class. And then from there, you just progress as normal. However, depending on what combinations you pick, there are some class features that have more complicated interactions. So the three that are listed first 
is Channel Divinity Extra Attack and Unarmored Defense. So Channel Divinity is something that clerics and paladins both get. But the thing to keep in mind is that when you multiclass, unfortunately, you do not gain extra uses of Channel Divinity. So the example that they list here is that if you're a Cleric 6 and Paladin 4, you get two Channel Divinities between rests because a level 6 Cleric can cast twice per short rest. So even though a level 6 Cleric can cast twice and a level 4 Paladin could cast once, it does not add together because it is only whichever the two is higher. It does not stack to have multiple channel divinities. And extra attack is somewhat similar. Like, let's say you've got a level 5 barbarian, level 5 fighter. Both of those get two attacks per action. That does not stack to become three attacks for a level 10 total for that character. It is only if you did a level 11 fighter, a level 5 barbarian, that that level 11 fighters three attacks per action would then come into come into effect so like does not stack with like for the sake of extra attack if you have two attacks per action you have two attacks per action only if you advance in fighter to three attacks per action would you get that and then um, unarmored defense is something that is available to monks and barbarians so that is a feature that if you already have it from one, you do not gain that from the other. Uh, minor tangent once again, though, uh, because unarmored defense is available relatively quickly, that is a potentially valuable reason to multiclass as a monk or barbarian if you are something else, because then you don't need armor potentially to have good AC, which is why barbarian and monk are often pretty good multi-class options but that you cannot well you could multi-class barbarian monk but you would not stack the unarmored defenses so you would not get your you know 10 plus dexterity plus wisdom plus constitution you do not get all three things all right now we move on to the hard part spell casting so Multi-class spellcasting is probably the most complicated. And that is because the spells that you have available are based on the individual classes. However, we've talked in the past about how there are full casting and half casting classes. So wizards and sorcerers, clerics are all full spellcasters. So these are the ones who can eventually advance to ninth level spells. So the ones who can get to that top power in magic. Then you've got the rangers and paladins and artificers that are the half casters, where they will only advance up to fifth level magic. Then there is the third, the one-third casters, which is the Eldritch Knight subclass and the Arcane Trickster Rogue. So all three of those tiers of magic use, for lack of a better word, matter for the sake of multiclassing. So let me think, how do I... So in order to figure out exactly how many spell slots you have as a multiclass character, there is math involved, unfortunately. So you have to add together 
your total number of levels in full spellcasters, half your levels rounded down in the half casters, and a third of your level for the one-thirds. That does not roll off the tongue nicely. So to give an example of that, let's say that you've got a, uh, let's, let's just say level five wizard who is a multi-class with a level six paladin. So wizard five, paladin six. So that would be five levels in wizard because wizard is a full caster. Paladin is a half. So then that would be six divided by two. So it'd be five and three. So that would count as an eighth level spellcaster for the sake of determining how many spell slots that character has. So this is one of those sections where I highly recommend D&D Beyond to not have to think about this math yourself because it does it for you. And God, does that make life easier. So then you can just do it that way. But if you need to, there is a chart in the player's handbook directly under the section describing multi-class spellcasting. And it does show that once you've done this math, it will show you, okay, an eighth level multi-class character will have, let's see, four first level spells, three, or sorry, four first level spell slots, three second level spell slots, three third level spell slots, and two fourth level spell slots. But there's another complication, which is if you are multi-classed, then even though you might end up with higher level spell slots, you may not actually know any spells that high. So a fifth level wizard maxes out at third level spells. So you don't have any fourth level spells to cast with those two fourth level spell slots. What you are still able to do, though, is to cast the spells you do know with it. So let's say that wizard has that wizard paladin has fireball. Fireball, I know it's my favorite example, but yeah. Fireball is a third level spell, and at third level does 8d6 damage, but can be cast with a higher level spell slot to do additional damage. So that wizard paladin then could just cast that at fourth level to do that additional d6 uh, an additional 1d6 damage so that is where it's still useful to have that higher level spell slot even if you don't have the spells that you need to do that so now is where i need to also make a very important distinction and this is the the comp okay I keep saying that this is the complicated part and then saying this is also the complicated part, and that's just an unfortunately true fact of multiclassing, is that multiclass spellcasting gets confusing. So as a multiclass spellcaster, you do not have two sets of spell slots. We mentioned that math just a moment ago of figuring out how many spell slots you have is based on the total amount of levels of spellcasters that you have. So you have one set of spell slots, but you have separate spell lists. So what I mean by that is that if with that fifth level wizard, sixth level paladin example, the wizard gets to pick the number of spells that they would know as a fifth level wizard. The paladin would only get to pick the paladin spells that it knows at sixth level. So you have separate spell lists 
and each of them uses the spell casting modifier for that class. So the wizard paladin would use intelligence to cast their wizard spells, and then they would use their charisma to cast their paladin spells. And separate spell lists, same spell slots. I really hope that I got that part out correctly because it's hard. That's pretty limiting, isn't it? Well, I mean, it depends. So you get a number of spell slots equal to your total spell caster level. So given that it is a full caster and half caster in that example, then they would still total up to have a mostly normal number of spell slots. It just means that if you were to say, get, you know, um, let's just logic. How do I explain this part? Okay, let me try it this way. If you were to do level one wizard and level two paladin. So when they get their spell casting, you would not then have eight level one spell slots because that would honestly make multi-classing too powerful. So it's logical for it to mush the spell slots together into a total. Because otherwise, if you did that amalgamation character of one of everything, then you would have, I don't know, 20, 30 level one spell slots. And that's insane. So there is a logic behind it. It is a combination of all of your spell casting levels to give you the average amount of magic for such a character. So is it complicated? Yes. But it is logical, so it does make sense because that does eventually grant you the higher level spell slots for the spellcaster that you end up with. And one point uh, that is also worth reiterating, it is based on your total levels of spellcasters. So if you were to be a fifth level wizard, fifth level fighter, then you have a fifth level wizard's amount of spell slots which makes sense because that's how magical that character is on the other hand if you were say a warlock sorcerer which obviously well actually no let's not use warlock as an example because they're weird and i'll get to that in a moment let's say you're a sorcerer warlock uh why did i i keep wanting to say that because i love it but let's not let's say you're a sorcerer bard there we go they're both charisma based full spell casters so that would mean then that they would that particular character if you were a fifth level bard fifth level sorcerer that number one you would have the full amount of spell slots of a 10th level spellcaster with that character and because they're both charisma based you would still only use your charisma to cast all of your spells so if you are balancing multiple spellcasters having compatible ability scores can definitely make your life a little easier so if you wanted to do a wizard artificer that would make sense because then you would get some of the you know armor proficiency from the artificer plus they are both intelligence based spellcasters so you would only use your intelligence modifier for that so that would be a logical multi-class character or if you have the charisma based ones or if you wanted to be a dexterity based rogue fighter so having compatible ability scores is a very logical thing for multi-class you don't have to 
as long as you have good ability scores in multiple things, then you can make outlandish combinations, but that will make things more complicated for you. All right, so now let's move on to warlocks. So I keep mentioning that I want to talk about warlocks, but also the fact that warlocks are weird. And that is because warlocks are a unique spellcaster in that they do not have the spellcasting class feature. What they have is called pact magic. So the entire spellcasting progression of warlocks does not stack with any other spellcaster. So if you are a multi-class warlock in either direction, whether you're something plus warlock or warlock plus something, you have to keep separate spell slots for both the warlock and the other thing. So this is the most complicated one because of the fact that if you are and now I'll finally get to actually talk about it, that Warlock Sorcerer that I love so much, <laughs> then you need to keep separate spell lists, as I mentioned before, but also separate spell slots. So if you have, you know, a third level Warlock, third level Sorcerer, you have separate spell slots for the Warlock and the Sorcerer. However... The reason that I mentioned that this is my favorite combination is because of a little detail that's mentioned in the Pact Magic multi-classing section, which is you can use the spell slots you gain from the Pact Magic feature to cast spells you know or have prepared from classes with the spellcasting feature. And you can use the spell slots you gain from the spellcasting class feature to cast warlock spells you know. So they don't stack, but they're still usable. So that means that the packed magic spell slots that a warlock has access to, which regenerate from a short rest, unlike every other spellcaster, means that multi-classing warlock gives a character spell slots that regenerate with a short rest. And that makes warlock multi-classing hugely valuable for spellcasters. But the reason I mentioned sorcerer in particular is because sorcerers have a separate class feature called spell points. And this is a feature that lets them use magic in some different ways. But it also lets them convert their spell slots into spell points or into spells or from points to spell slots. So if you have a warlock sorcerer, so even if you just have one level in warlock with 19 levels in sorcerer, then that would mean then that every hour you get a level one spell slot back. And then you could convert that level one spell slot into a, a spell point, two spell points. I unfortunately don't remember the conversion rate offhand. I want to say it's just one to one when going slot to point, but I could be wrong on that. Point being, if you do that, then you can slowly over time let the warlock regenerate spell slots with multiple short rests in a row and then convert the points into higher level sorcerer spell slots. So that is one of the very few workarounds to get back magic without a long rest is 
the warlock sorcerer combination. But in addition to that, if you have more levels in warlock, but even just by a little bit, let's say that you've got three warlock levels and 17 sorcerer levels. Then a level 17 sorcerer would have access to ninth level magic. They would have access to all of those powerful spells. And as we talked about in the sorcerer episode, the metamagic class feature that is the thing using their spell points has one option called distant spell. So one of my favorite builds in the game is the arcane sniper. That is this particular multi-class combination. Because if you get the spell sniper feat, which doubles the range on certain spells, you get the warlock eldritch invocation, eldritch spear, which increases the range on eldritch blast to 300 feet. And then on the sorcerer side, get to use the ability distant spell, which doubles the range. Then eldritch blast suddenly turns from a 120 foot range to a 300 foot range with eldritch spear, doubled with spell sniper to 600 feet, and then doubled again with the sorcerer's distant spell, which creates a 1200 foot ranged spell, which except for the highest tiers of magic makes it well, it is flat out the longest range cantrip in the game by far, but it is amongst the highest range spells in the game as a cantrip. <laughs> and that's just such a ridiculous ability. A cantrip with a 1200 foot range. <laughs> it tickles my fancy. So yeah, I believe that to be that. So in summary, multiclassing gives a lot of potential options to roleplay a character in a specific way that you want them to be. But it also gives an enormous amount of mechanical flexibility to get additional class features, additional proficiencies. There are a lot of things to be gained from multi-classing. So, as long as your DM gives the okay, have at it! Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tears start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Support us to get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.